Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're very welcome to another episode of the Scaling Your Business podcast. For this episode, we're joined by an Irishman, but all the way over in Zagreb. John Brady, CEO and founder at Bowsy. John, you're very welcome to the show. Right. Thanks very much, Ray. Delighted to be, uh, to be here. Delighted to have you. As we were saying before we hit the record button, conversation for any loyal listeners will know focuses around early influences, challenges and pivotal moments. So no different with you. Uh, I know you're based out in Zagreb at the moment, currently moving home, but uh, home is Dublin, Ireland. So let's go back to the beginning. You grew up in Dublin. Any favourite standout memories of while you were growing up in Dublin? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, I grew up in Dublin. I mean, uh, I left uh, Dublin probably 1999. Uh, while I was in Ireland, I had a chance to work with my dad's business. My, uh, my father uh, was originally from the Liberties, uh, grew up in Dublin. Uh, he had his own kind of health business uh, going from the 1960s, 1970s. He opened up some gymnasiums, health stores in Drury Street in Dublin. Uh, I got involved. He uh, uh, before I left, he had a kind of a small medical manufacturing business in uh, in Ireland. He was manufacturing medical disposables and wipes and stuff like that. Um, for uh, for most of his life, he was involved in that, and that that's a big memory for me. His dad building his business in uh, in Dublin. Uh, he was kind of an early entrepreneur before. Um, Enterprise Ireland and before he had all the support in the 1960s uh, onwards and he managed to I'd say scrape by a living in uh, successfully in Ireland you know uh, for all of his life I was involved in that uh, before I left to uh, uh, to go abroad and I've been working for international companies um, abroad I've been living in Iran and Indonesia uh, spent a time in the Middle East and then more recently, uh, spending a lot of time in the UK and Poland, and now I find myself in Croatia. But I've, I've always wanted to come back to Ireland. It's always been difficult as the kind of kids have been growing up, and there would never seem to be a perfect time to go back to Ireland. Either it was boom or bust. It was, you know, it was going to be too expensive, or you know, there, there weren't the opportunities. And it was probably around three years ago I started working on my new business, which is uh, uh, Bowsy, which we kind of launched mm. last year. But I've been working on it for a while. And the main motivation for that is my daughter now is 18. She's getting ready for university. And I was, I guess, emotionally coming to terms with the fact that she could be studying in Australia or you know the Netherlands, wherever else. I wanted to go back to Ireland. And that's the plan now, but it was in the process of preparing that we realized that, you know, although technology has changed and there's been a lot of progress, uh, the nature of student work hasn't changed. And it's exactly the same as me when I was studying in UCD, you know, uh, I worked in loads of stores, I worked in Burger King, McDonald's, etc. And uh, although things have changed a little bit with the gig economy in terms of flexibility, you know, uh, the nature of student work hasn't changed. And uh, that made me thinking about alternatives at, at the time we were when we were looking at you know remote technology and the ability to work remotely it seemed a bit of a stretch of the imagination because this is of course before the pandemic for having our first conversations and a lot of companies thought this is a big stretch of the imagination number one you know working remotely and number and unsupervised and then number two 
you know, uh, throwing students into the mix or university students. And obviously attitudes have changed, you know, dramatically uh, because of the lockdown, because of the pandemic, people are looking at it very differently. And mm. um, that's given us a kind of a huge boost in terms of at least the mindset of you know, some of our customers and the mindsets of some of the bigger companies towards remote working. And they're looking at it now much more as a kind of an opportunity than they would have before. And that was the main motivation is it was really was my own daughter uh, and seeing the opportunity that, you know, there's a huge untapped, you know, digitally savvy, smart, you know, workforce in, in university. And we're focusing primarily on kind of final year or postgraduate students who, um, uh, where the need is greatest, you know, for this kind of experience. Um, so not detracting from any of the students working in pubs, bars, that's part of the, the uh, you know, college life, but we see certainly, you know, there's a huge amount of this, of the 70,000 students, I think, there's probably 15,000 or more students in their final year or in postgraduate studies, and that's where we see the big opportunity is to tap into them. And mm. last year, we worked with another uh, startup uh, called Bounce Insights. They came from Trinity College, and they helped us do some kind of quantitative research among students in Ireland to understand you know, how is the graduate recruitment process going from their perspective, what are the big barriers you know, to getting employment from their perspectives, and what kind of changes would they like to see. And the, the, the biggest barrier the students kind of saw, well, was access to relevant work experience. And you know, I've also been lucky enough in the past two years to work with lots of, most of our team are either current final year students or recent graduates. And I, I've gone through the you know the kind of life cycle that the students kind of endure in terms of getting jobs you know between not getting a response to an application to being told they not have a, enough experience and the biggest thing that came back from the research was the fact that a, a experience or perceived lack of experience was the biggest barrier to them getting the job that they wanted to and 89 percent of students that we surveyed and uh, saw uh, that they needed an improvement in the graduate recruitment process and even students from all over ireland uh, and when we asked them, what, what are the big changes you'd like to see? And we gave them a list, you know, whether it's, you know, more recruitment fairs, more interaction with employers, etc. And the one that they picked was the opportunity to get work experience remotely. Uh, and that kind of cemented, you know, uh, you know from the, the graduate perspective that what we're doing here really will add value to students. It creates a level playing field, so it doesn't matter mm -hmm. if you're in Cork or Tullamore, you can all get equal access to companies, whether they're in Dublin or Belfast or Galway or wherever. Um, and it tries to remove like the, the, the barriers for a lot of students getting that experience that might be driven by location, the background, what university they go to. Um, so that was, a, that was a big motivation as well, seeing from the student side. And the other aspect was we spend a lot of time looking at academic research in the areas of what exists, you know, is it students working in part-time jobs, does it help, does it hinder? And there was research in the UK and also from Georgetown University that was, shows that students who are lucky enough to work in a part-time job related to their uh, studies were amongst the best academic performers, had better networks and went on to enjoy better careers. Yet the vast majority of students are still kind of working in traditional part-time jobs. And it was also saying it disproportionately impacts lower income students and students from less privileged backgrounds or minority backgrounds who often have to work longer hours to make ends meet. So even, though, even if they have a scholarship, their studies suffer because you know, they're paying rent, they're doing everything else. 
uh, and it negatively impacts their studies. So we just saw this as a, as a great win-win, not just for the students themselves, but also for employers. And, um, you know, a lot of the conversations we've had with employers has been around uh, how this is a much better process than the snapshot you'll get from a CV or from an interview. You can actually evaluate the students based on real observed experience and you can access a lot more. So for the cost of four or five students uh, doing a normal internship, you can access 70 students through remote project work. Wow. You know, so it, it changes the dynamic and, and while a lot of the bigger companies don't, you know, uh, set out to target certain universities, there's, there's certainly safe bets, you know, that they've tried and they continue to go to certain universities and recruit. And this, this doesn't take away from them, but allows them to cast their net a, a lot wider so they can start talking to some of the institutes of technology, some of the regional colleges, etc. Mm -hmm. that they wouldn't normally would. And you know, tap into a talent pool that you know uh, they haven't really accessed before. So you know, we see that as a kind of a nice win-win on both sides. Mm. A lot to unpack there. Um, I definitely want to get into Bowsy, but uh, what what what's your dad's name? Do you want me asking? Uh, Jim Brady. So James Brady. He was. Uh, he used to run, uh, it was a Drury, uh, in Drury Street, he had the uh, the health store there. He was, mm. he, he actually set up some of the first gyms in uh, wow. gymnasiums. Uh, the Apollo Gym was one of them. Uh, his company at that stage was called Health and Strength. And he was set up some of the first kind of uh, bodybuilding and weightlifting competitions in Ireland. Uh, so uh, he was uh, talking to people like Reg Park, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger when he was 16 or 17, you know, Reg Park, not as well known, but he was also one of the idols for Arnold Schwarzenegger. Mm -hmm. So he set up a lot of those uh, bodybuilding uh, competitions. I think it was in uh, St. Francis Hall uh, okay. in, uh, in, in, uh, in Dublin. And uh, that was that was kind of the start of his career was kind of in the, the bodybuilding. And I think he Dad ended up as being Mr. Leinster or Mr. Ireland in the weightlifting. He was on the Irish Olympic Council as well. Um, he had, um, oh. wasn't Reg Park, but he had um, uh, quite a lot of exhibitions with some names that would be very well known, like in the 60s and 70s. In that scene, yeah. Before, before things changed dramatically with the likes of Arnold Schwarzenegger and, uh, and, and you know, those more well-known coming in, you know, if you look at the, the black and white photographs of your know, dad's generation and the generation that came afterwards, it was night and day. Uh, so that was his, that was, he was always like uh, uh, managing his own business right up to the, you know, bringing in natural yogurts and health foods in the 60s, which was arguably well ahead of uh of the the trend was, that later yeah. came back to ireland and um he at, at the end you know when he was doing the manufacturing he was we were able to benefit from things at the time called the, the business expansion scheme so you know a lot of the things that we see now like for entrepreneurs were becoming available to him i think it would have been in the in the late 80s and so forth he managed to successfully set up his bill his business he was selling to hospitals in Ireland and in Europe, and uh, I was involved in that. And uh, at that stage, like dad, dad came from, I think he, he left school when he was 14 or 15. I was the first, oh. the first uh, uh, guy in the family to go, on dad's side at least, to go to the university. And uh, it was, I was involved in a lot of that because at that stage, when you were dealing with the banks or dealing with anybody else, having somebody with a degree, you know, uh, added a lot of weight 
you know, whereas I would have deferred to dads 20 years or, you know, 30 years of experience mm. at the time, you know, they very much, you know, also put a lot of weight on the time that, you know, I had a, uh, I had a degree and a BCom from University College Dublin. So I helped dad in that, in that aspect, you know, maybe bring in a bit of kind of structure or strategy or business mm. planning or, or put it this way, the language that you would, you know, that, that the banks were looking for, or, you know, at the time, you know, the, uh, uh, the local kind of uh, uh, enterprise offices were looking for. So I could help them in the latter end of his career. Uh, right. uh, yeah, so well, was, uh, a big learning experience for me. And then I ended up in corporate life after that. Shout out to your dad. Talking about corporate life, I know you spent time working abroad. The States in 94, a couple of years in Amsterdam, a couple of years in London, Poland, you've mentioned Iran. Um, what did those years, one, working in corporate and two, working abroad, teach you? Any lessons or big takeaways? Yeah, I mean, it, it gave me a, a very valuable perspective in terms of uh, people uh, and talent and building teams and it was uh it was even though you're kind of very far and different places you know when you look at people and you know success you know there was a lot of common threads throughout the countries whether you're talking to people in indonesia or iran or the uk and uh you know that was something you know that that uh is kind of reflected in bowsy today you know that we have a very international uh, uh group it uh, also gave me a perspective in terms of, you know, um, seeing opportunities. A lot of what I did was was either following acquisitions, so going in, helping set up a new company. It was in the innovation uh, side as well. And really seeing, um, uh, uh, being able to spot opportunities. And I, I uh, mentioned you briefly in a previous conversation about Croatia. You know, mm-hmm. uh, when I look at Croatia, I see like Dublin from the 1980s, you know, 1990s, I see so much potential here. Um, and having that perspective from the countries, I think that kind of perspective that you mightn't have growing up. But it also gives me a very good kind of network, you know, so uh, uh, people across countries, which I think will help me as we plan, is helping me and will help me even more so when we start looking at growing the business, um, you know, not just in Ireland. Yeah, and, and just before we get into Bowsy, you've touched on Croatia. I know in a previous conversation you mentioned that you were you were part of the GAA uh, crowd over there. Are you a Dubs fan? I, I am. I am a Dubs fan, but I'm I'm one of the only ones here uh, at the moment. You know, there's there's a, a great mixture. There's not that many Irish here. I think we have a Facebook page set up. There's around two hundred Irish uh, on the Facebook for Irish in Croatia. Uh, there's a there's a around forty or fifty kind of in Zagreb who would be kind of uh, involved in the the Irish community here, but it's a great mixture. We have people from all over uh, Ireland. Everyone has a different story. Uh, more recently, it's a, it's a, either an Irish guy or an Irish girl that's kind of met, you know, uh, a Croatian and have been and have moved over here. Mm-hmm. But then you have you have there was a lot of Irish uh, uh, that were that stayed here. Uh, after um, uh, the, the, the kind of the civil war that took place uh, here in, uh, in former Yugoslavia when it broke up, and they kind of stayed on uh, afterwards. So we have ex- people who used to be with the army stationed here with the uh, United Nations. 
Uh, you have a mixture of people who've come over with partners from, from uh, that they met in Ireland that are Croatian. You have a few entrepreneurs, uh, a few successful Irish businesses here. Interestingly, there's, a, there's a, I think one of the biggest independent breweries here in Croatia is is uh, is kind of run the operations is run by uh, an Irish guy. Um, one of the top rated kind of craft breweries is uh, run by another Irish guy from Waterford, Simon O'Keefe. Um, and more recently, last weekend, I was in a place called Borania, which is in Slavonia. It's on the east side of, uh, of Croatia. And um, I was there with an Irish guy from Leitrim who set up his own vineyard and uh, is making award-winning uh, Croatian wine uh, there. Wow. So there's, there's a really nice eclectic mixture of people and it's a very supportive community. And that was one of the big reasons why we set up the, the uh, GAA here. So we now have a, um, a team for the hurling and for the Gaelic football. Um, and it's a mixture of Irish and Croatians uh, in the team. And the Croatians are fascinated. Like anytime you see someone walking down with a hurley and a helmet, they're stopped uh, and asked, you know, what they're doing. Or if we're practicing, any of the passerbys will stop to watch it. They're fascinated uh, about it. So mm. we've got a match now against a team from uh, Czech Republic coming up on the 3rd of July. Uh, they're visiting uh, from Prague. It's the Hibernian Prags, and we're advertising that now amongst the Croatians here. You know, to come along. Uh, it's kind of a family match day. Have a look at it and try and get some more Croatians to uh, to join uh, mm -hmm. the club. And it's a, it's a nice leveler because the Croatians are fantastic at sports, particularly soccer. You know, uh, for such a small sized country, they 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 punch well above their weight. And uh, that could that could be a bit of a barrier for anyone who wants a friendly kick around because there's not there's no such thing really as a friendly kick around. They're practicing nearly every day, and this is a nice way for people to get involved. There's no professional, there are no experts. Everyone has a, a you know is kind of learning, and it's a nice way to just get out, have a bit of fun. Mm -hmm. uh, everyone's learning as they go along, uh, so it's a nice mixture. And, and I think the age profile of the team is going something from twenty to 42 or 43 years of age wow. so it's it's a it's a nice mix it's a bit of fun and everyone's kind of enjoying it i think amazing i love i love to see that um one or two questions around Belzy, but before i ask that uh you've been part of many brand launches um is there anything that when launching a brand you think some people might overlook like launching a brand into a new region or just launching a new brand in general that some people overlook that uh, you don't think they should overlook because it could be detrimental to the success of that launch? I think uh, it, it's very much word of mouth. Whether you're in a, a large company or a small startup like us, the one consistent thing has been the importance of um, kind of social credibility, word of mouth, and you know authentic social media, like applying broadcast media rules like you would have had on, on TV commercials or anything else. Mm. I'm trying to apply that to social media doesn't work. Uh, you know, and uh, I think getting the, the, the trust and having a genuine conversation with people is very, very important. You know, the kind of the one way broadcast message, you know, doesn't work. And mm. in everything I've been involved in and even more so um, with with the, the startup, it's been very much about kind of uh, uh, you know, looking after 
um, your reputation, your reviews, your online presence, you know, uh, uh, driving positive uh, word of mouth, uh, meaningful content, you know, and, you know, uh, I've worked with, you know, some of the biggest agents, global agencies who will spend a fortune on doing events and campaigns, etc. And I found that we'd be more successful when you kind of engage you know, on a more meaningful way, on a more human perspective, you know, uh, it's, it's not about, you know, high, high value, glossy, well produced, you know, images or videos or anything else. Mm. It's authenticity uh, that really, really uh, matters. And actually having a social cause in terms of, you know, what, which is very much what Housie is about, is very important, you know, to have a very strong reason why. Uh, and that wasn't always in the case for, you know, for me before, and, and that's a big part. The other thing is, um, particularly on the on the larger companies, is uh, they tend to be very slow at internalizing external innovation. You know, so uh, I was guilty of that as well. When I was in, on a corporate seat, you know, people would be coming to you with ideas or external ideas, uh, and there's not really a process process that supports that in big companies to say like John. You know, I want you to do something completely new as part of your objectives this year, apart from your targets and your sales volumes and whatever, however they measure you. I want you to do something completely new, bring some new idea into the company. It doesn't matter if it, if it fails or succeeds, mm. but try to bring something new in. And I, I've seen that, you know, uh, and that can help a huge amount in terms of, you know, improving your processes, improving, you know, looking at new uh, channels for engaging with people. Uh, you're promoting your product or uh, anything on that. And, you know, I think for a lot of companies now being on the other side of the ground, there's more reasons for them to say no than there is yes, because a lot of them aren't incentivized to bring innovation into a company. And, and there's, there's more downside if things go wrong. So, you know, I, if, if you're the person that brought in an idea that didn't work, I think they're more worried about that scenario than thinking, wow, this is something that's really good. And this could really help them. Let's give it a try. And it's usually very low cost, you know, relative to what these companies are spending their money on. But they don't have the structure to support that. And, and of course, you see big examples. I mean, the, you know, the famous ones like, you know, for example, even Microsoft missing out on the Internet. You know, uh, the Fuji and the Kodaks fighting each other and you know, not thinking, not realizing that the HPs, the Apples are going to take over that whole space in terms of digital you know, media, etc., and a lot of the big companies are so inward focused; they're not looking outwards. And mm -hmm. you know that the big changes are coming from the industry. The majority of them come from outside. You know, the, the majority of them come from ideas outside. You can see how revolution is challenging the traditional banking uh, thing. You know, you can see how Stripe in Ireland is doing the same thing with payments. And you know, a lot of these companies, I think, uh, are. Uh, don't have processes in place uh, to internalize these ideas, you know, to drive changes in the in the business. That was something I think I was guilty of, uh, maybe not as guilty as everybody else, but it was something I was very conscious of. And I think uh, that's been the experience now. And you know, where where I've got a huge amount of support has been more in the SME, the small businesses, Enterprise Ireland, the Guinness uh, Enterprise Center. It's been those, and the larger companies. Don't have really the, the the kind of the the tools, mechanics, or incentives to kind of react, you know. And uh, uh, I think that, that of course the pandemic's changed that a lot, uh, but that's a huge that's a huge uh, opportunity for companies. I think particularly the larger multinationals to relook, and it's not just about my business; it's about every other part of the business, and you know how uh, they're kind of in some ways cut off from external innovation. Like so, one of the 
the the the big things I was doing in one of my previous roles, I was head of a global innovation centre based in Lum London. Mm -hmm. And we were looking at kind of um, uh, very much at open sourced innovation. So rather than going to the guys in the company who were the traditional engineers or the traditional experts, also involving smaller companies, bringing in new ideas and you know, putting out a pitch. Like, so we want, to, for example, if you wanted to, to re-engineer a process or looking at a better way of doing something, putting out a pitch to other companies out there, inviting other companies to, to, to get involved. And you, you'd be amazed about the ideas that you'll get. And you know you can also help those companies uh, um, uh, grow, but at the same time, you benefit from external ideas. And so this whole idea of open source innovation uh, uh, was something I was involved in. Not every company looks at it, they'll, involve, they'll focus primarily on their internal R&D, their internal processes, their internal experts. Um, you know, and, and I guess increasingly now, some of the companies are now looking because the product development life cycles are changing so fast. You know, you can't afford to be an expert in something if it's going to take you a couple of years to become an expert. And by the time you have that product life cycle has moved on, you know, and you can see that for mobile phones, for example, you know, if you, if you have a product life cycle of over six months, it's probably a miracle. You know, so things are moving so fast externally. You, you, you have to you know, move away from that over-reliance and trying to do everything internally, looking much more at open sourcing, looking much more at getting partnerships, you know, and you know, partnering with that technology rather than trying to reinvent the wheel internally. And that's been, uh, you know, that's been a big learning for me as well. You mentioned something there that I want to, I want to touch on. Uh, but Bowsy, you, you've spoken about uh, the creation of Bowsy. I know that uh, it's helped those, uh, both students and companies who are looking for a competitive advantage, in my eyes, stand yeah. out. I know there's um, people that have got jobs in Ernest & Young, KPMG, Accenture, just to name a few. Um but I guess my question is, you, you mentioned partnerships. So I know that you recently won the Premier League Cup, not the English Premier League. But uh, I, I assume that with that win, and you can tell people what that, what that cup means, that uh, the United States is a big part of the future plan. So my question is, you mentioned partnerships. How do you continue to grow the brand and raise awareness, assuming that US is part of the future plan? Is it with things like, partnerships and content creation etc 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 yeah so that, that that forms a big part of it and in the early days we were looking at um, um uh, going down the, the funding route you know there's lots of conversations for example about why are you guys even talking about the united states you know are you, are you guys getting ahead of yourself you're a small startup in ireland and you know it's true we are a small startup in ireland but all the conversations we we're having with the multinational potential partners were look i'm not interested in a solution just for ireland i need a solution that's going to work for my offices in the us and the uk wherever mm. they were and that's how those conversations started off that when we were talking about these partnerships with companies they say look you know, uh, even in Ireland, we know we have our own place in the scheme of things. You know, uh, yes, we have like some big companies here, but they're headquartered in the US or we have offices, whatever. And that kind of started those early conversations. And one of the uh, uh, the, the big help we've been getting from Enterprise Ireland, not just in Ireland, but also Enterprise Ireland in the USA. And we were uh, involved in some discussions with Enterprise Ireland in San Francisco, and we were selected to participate in a, a pitch event called the uh, uh, Premier Cup pitch event 
in the uh, US. And this was the first time, it was us along with some other Irish companies, but this is the first time um, any Irish company started talking to you know, some of these accelerator partners uh, or programs in the US. And the ones that we were dealing with were a company called People Tech Partners, who are one of the largest accelerators in the HR tech space. So if you look at who their partners are, it's the likes of Netflix, it's Google, it's SAP, Facebook, Udemy, they, they partner with all of these. Wow. And the, the opportunity for, for us was like to, to pitch the, um, uh, uh, our business to them, pitch our idea. We, we had to look at it as well, obviously, in the context of the US, but what we're doing in Ireland and the problem we're solving in, in the US, in Ireland is, is equally applicable in, in, the, in the US. We won that uh, event and, and we're now the first uh, Irish startup uh, to join this People's Tech Accelerator program ever coming from Ireland, right. I think also from, from, um, uh, from Europe. We start that like in September because obviously we're focusing on Ireland. Uh, we need to make the business work here. And, and they see it as a very interesting model because um, for a startup in the US, the average seed funding is around $3 million. In Ireland, it's around 300,000 uh, euros. And it's not to say that the ideas in, in, in the US are 10 times better than Ireland, they're not. You know, uh, the seed funding tends to be you know, a lot higher leveled. Also, when, uh, when they launch in the US, there's a lot of visibility in the early seed stages. You know, everybody in Silicon Valley knows who's doing what. And the conversation you had, this is a very interesting model, is to kind of validate them. You know, you can get equity relatively cheaply in Ireland compared to the seed funding in the US. You can validate the business model here. You can validate the technology. You can do that a little bit off the radar screen. And then you bring to the US market, probably for Series A, like a fully functioning platform or model that's validated with all the learnings on board. Uh, and you take that to the US. And that was something they, they were uh, kind of very interested in. Uh, and the opportunity, you know, because what you see a lot in Ireland is you see a lot, a lot of the seed funding take place here. Uh, and then a Series A taking place, you know, in the US. And, mm -hmm. you know, they see that they saw this as an opportunity. Uh, they like the idea uh, uh, as well. And they'll be a big partner. What they do is they introduce us to companies. They'll help us with our corporate network. They'll introduce us to the right people, etc. cetera. Uh, and that's a huge plus. We're also, I'm, Bowsey's also lucky enough, we actually have three people on the ground in the US market. And these, this is through my own network. Uh, uh, Professionals in their own rights. One of them is a professor at one of the universities in the U.S. The other is ex-State Department. Uh, he was a colonel in the U.S. Army and he was with the uh, military attaché. Uh, uh, the other is actually working for one of the big uh, um, uh, departments, the State Department, giving scholarships to underprivileged students, etc. And they're they're working for us, like uh, albeit on their own time, out of out of the goodwill that they see that. This is a huge opportunity in the US. So we're lucky to have you know, kind of three people on the ground already in the US. Plus we have this other partnership now with uh, People Tech Partners. And so that allows us to kind of uh, manage the US kind of in, in parallel to Ireland. So it doesn't distract from the core of the business, which is getting it right in Ireland. But we have the resources and everything else there. And in the next 12 months, we're looking at getting some permanent positions in the US separate to the Irish business. Mm -hmm. that allow us to, to do things in parallel. But what we don't want to do is reinvent the platform, you know, in the US. Uh, what we want to make sure is what we've developed for Ireland is equally applicable. And, you know, that's, that's been very positive so far is that, you know, for EU, for example, the GDPR legislation, uh, you know, money uh, laundering legislation like PSD2, that the bar is much higher in Ireland than in Europe. So 
whatever we develop for, for Ireland is equally applicable to the US. You know, there's, there's, there's some differences in tax, yeah. but it means you don't have to reinvent the wheel. And that's been a, a huge boost, uh, boost to us. It just means that while we're developing uh, everything in Ireland with the European context in mind, we also have the US context in mind as well. So we don't develop something that we can't use there. So we develop it once, we get it right, and we can roll it out other markets and kind of scale relatively quickly, which I think is going to be very important for us as well. Um, so yeah, on, on, on the partnership front, that's that's been uh, uh, hugely kind of valuable to us. In, in Ireland as well, you know, uh, not to underestimate the role of you know the likes of Enterprise Ireland or indeed the Guinness Enterprise Centre. So Guinness Enterprise Centre, for example, they've introduced us. So we just finished a project with Tulane University, the executive MBA programme, Tulane University in New Orleans, uh, Louisiana. Okay. Uh, and that was through the Guinness Enterprise Centre. They've been very helpful in introducing us to some of the universities which is key for us to get, um, uh, in terms of our business model, the, the, the first thing oh, is developing right. partnerships with the universities. And we've been working with uh, UCD and more recently UCC with their career centres. Um, in UCD, it's the Michael Smurfer Graduate School of Business we're talking to mainly. And they've been hugely um, uh, supportive. I think once they get beyond the, 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 once they get beyond the, 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 the idea that, you know, this is a, a company trying to, you know, uh, use students, and they understand actually what we're doing is helping students. Uh, it's providing a service that isn't there. We're effectively run by students. I, I'm up until uh, we were joined by uh, 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 Daniel Leia, who's our COO. He's a professor from the uh, IE Business School in Madrid. But up until then, I was the eldest in uh, Bowsey by probably, when kind to myself, around 15 or 16 years. And most of the people we've, we've worked for us are either just recent graduates or like doing their final years of studies. And uh, you mentioned as well, like some of them have gone on to jobs now in Accenture, uh, into Google, mm -hmm. and other companies. And they've seen the value of that. And we were the only, we were the only kind of startup invited to the UCD Careers uh, Fair for the Smurfit School. So wow. we were there alongside, uh, I think it was SAP, uh, Microsoft, I think, you know, uh, you know, some of the big Irish employers. Big names, yeah. And we were there. So I think the, the, the universities are, are hugely important in terms of developing these partnerships because they see the value that we're adding to the, the students. Uh, you know, it's free for students, it's free for uh, universities, so there's no kind of cost to them. And they see that the, the value add that we're doing and consequently have been very important. And also, that's really key in our, in our business model as to why you know, somebody else couldn't go ahead and doing this is having those relationships with the universe and having the universities as partners, you know, is very, very important for us in our model, you know, and uh, we, we listen to what they have to say to us as well, very much so. If there was ever to be a book written, as in if you were to ever write a book, what would the front cover title be called? Uh, probably, uh, why didn't I do it 20 years ago? Uh, um, probably that's that's uh, uh, one of uh, the things I look back on, and uh, to put mm -hmm. that in context, um, I was among one of the first groups of students studying electronic commerce in UCD in the 1990s. Mm -hmm. I, I remember, like, uh, I think I, I checked at the time, I think I had one of the first of 10,000 websites global. Uh, at that time, there was less than 10,000 websites. Yeah. And uh, it was when you put a website up, 
I was getting a, I was getting a, you know, email from people because the community was relatively small. And this would have been, uh, would have been ninety three and ninety four, and you, know, you put up a website and people would be sending emails. I like this is all be in, in this the black and white kind of the, the, the black and grey text HTML, and it was that spot people were talking to. And one of the things I was doing my thesis on at the time was about electronic marketplaces. You know, uh, and how you know e-commerce uh, and online would uh, create a level playing field. You know, so that you know uh, people could access goods from all over the place. It's coming more from a business perspective, but get something getting close to perfect competition. You know, where it would be price competition. You know, uh, uh, yeah, uh, you'd be able to buy stuff. And then at that stage, like that would have been the early days of Amazon. You know when they were like uh you know a, a small business and that was exactly what i was looking at um i ended up taking a safe uh corporate job um i um uh, and that was in some ways it was reflected also on the fact that i was involved in, in dad's business and mm-hmm. um you know we we were i'd experienced the uncertainty of having your own business and the ups and the downs yep. and the reality of that you know uh you know mortgages you know all the problems that you can think about it so i experienced the reality of that and i think uh, that kind of uh, pushed me towards a safer option not just for me but for my family because i was also supporting to a certain degree you know the family and the business and everything else and from that perspective i decided okay you know uh, i have uh, some good opportunities i had a few job offers you know and as kind of graduate uh, management trainee jobs and stuff and i decided to go for that in the end uh, but looking back at it, it, you know, looking at what I was, the area I was in, um, and I remember, for example, when uh, we were when we were in university, we found out that they were now getting rid of some of the, they were now adding to the domains. Like at the time, there was, it was .edu. It was primarily for uh, university collaboration. I'm sure you know most of your listeners will understand know the history of it better than I do. But at that stage, I remember when they were introducing the .com, the, the .net. Uh, 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 named in our domains, which mm-hmm. is kind of new. So it was very early stages, and I I, I don't know uh, uh, if I would have regretted it at the time. But I, I really looking back, that I w- kind of wished I had done it and followed my gut instinct. But having said that, I, I, I you know I've had a, a fantastic experience. I was lucky enough to travel the world, uh, and that's why I'm kind of determined to see this through. Is that I, I couldn't I couldn't do this twice. You know, and and uh, look back, and, and I I knew at the time, uh, you know, and uh, you know this time I saw the opportunity. I uh, decided to jump ship, give up a, a well-paid job, and everything else that goes along with it. Um, there's probably a lot more support for for someone like me now than there might have been 30 years ago or 25 years ago. Well, actually, it's 30 years ago, if I'm talking about the 1990s. Um, so, um, That's mad. Uh, you know, and also I have a lot more, I've, you know, I have a very different network, a different perspective, a lot more mm. experience. So I also somewhat consoled by the fact, I think it was, it was uh, Enterprise Ireland were telling me there was some report that came out about the profile of successful entrepreneurs. Uh, and a lot of them are in their forties, you know? Uh, 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 so it's not always kind of the, 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 the necessarily the young people coming out. Uh, I'll never know because I missed that opportunity, but I think I'm in a very good position now. I, I bring a lot of value. And I'm very conscious that, that I surround myself and team with a mixture of people. Like I say, we have a huge, we've got seven different nationalities working for us. We have 
a huge uh, 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 mixture of experience. We're actually, when you look at the wider team, we're 70% female, uh, which is interesting. That wasn't by, that wasn't by design, you know, uh, that was just, you know, the process, a lot, a lot of, it just happened to a lot of females, whether it be university students or anything else, you know, were interested in Housie, liked the idea. Uh, and you know it's it's a very nice uh, place to be you know to start off the company and you know like because of the pandemic a lot of it has been done remotely so some of the people I haven't met face to face you know and uh, you know, obviously that's changing for the better now and we'll have that opportunity mm -hmm. but that in itself was uh, an experience working with different nationalities all of them no, are, but a lot of them based you know some of them had to go home so. We had students based in Switzerland, in India, one student based in China, uh, France, UK, you know, and these are all people who would have been studying in Irish universities who were sent home, went home because of the pandemic, working remotely. So we had all that element, you know, uh, plus the fact it was remote, plus we hadn't met each other. So that was a, a steep learning curve for us, but it worked. Uh, and that was in some way validation of what we were trying to do. You know, we kind of set up a business remotely with people who never met before, you know, from working from different countries across the world, basically. So that was a challenge, but I, I really am looking forward to the face-to-face -face bit. I don't think we'll ever go back to you know, the traditional kind of corporate or startup structure where we're all, you know, uh, sitting around desks, you know, we, we'll, we'll, we'll embrace the flexibility and the opportunity we have now, but at the same time, it's, it's still in the extreme position where, you know, we have, some of us haven't met. So I'm looking forward to all of us getting together uh, and I think in August there'll be around 25 or 30 of us from uh, people who are currently working on Bowsey and what we're calling now to be the Bowsey alumni. So people who were working with Bowsey when they were in university and have now gone on to get jobs. And we're still in touch with all of them, you know, and uh, on social media, you know, they'll give us shout outs. They all feel uh, some kind of a, a attachment to Bowsey in terms of what mm -hmm. we're trying to do. And that's that's great for us as well. So. I'm looking forward to that, uh, uh, hopefully sometime in August. Fingers crossed. Final question is, I'd like you to imagine it's now the year 2030 and we're chatting as if we're in 2030 and you're looking back on the last decade. Um, you can answer this personally or professionally, but assuming that it's now the year 2030 and we're looking back, what would you like to be looking back on? Um, I'd, I'd like to see that we actually have made a real difference to uh, students' uh, life and, and change how corporations look at innovation and how to look at you know, uh, student talent. I think mm -hmm. um, uh, what, what, we, what we're really uh, at the heart of Bowsey, there is a social cause. It is about trying to create equal opportunities. It is about trying to create a level playing field for all students. And from my own experience, you know, hiring students as well, it's not necessarily the ones who are the academic geniuses that are the ones who will succeed. There's plenty of people out there that have initiative, that have drive, etc. that probably uh, are excluded from part of the, the current process. Or in very simple terms, you might have people who, you know, who might even have physical disabilities that might prevent them from having the mobility to go, uh, or might have certain backgrounds, whatever else. And, and really, what I really want to do is, is look back and, uh, and you know, have some kind of legacy that we've made a difference in this space, you know? excluded from this you know uh, and that talent is kind of encouraged and spotted earlier on and you know for example th th there's no degree for creativity you know mm -hmm. uh, how do you, you know uh, how do you spot like uh, you know a uh, uh, creative talent you know other than engaging with them and 
the other really interesting thing is where you know a lot of feedback we got from students is they understand you know through this process where they can add value so i made up my mind when i was 17 i wanted to do commerce because it was a bit of a catch-all because i wasn't sure what i wanted to do but there was a bit of accountancy there was a bit of strategy there was a bit of marketing in it and it was kind of keeping my options open and a lot of students are made to make decisions very early on really without understanding what they enjoy and what they're good at we had a guy doing management accountancy who realized he loves this whole creative space. He loves doing blogs. He loves doing social media. And you know, very often, someone in his case, he'll end up like getting a, uh, accepting the very first job with a good package on it. He go into management accountancy, and he never really, he never would have realized that uh, you know, there's a whole other area out there where he can really add value, exceed. And, and I think what it will do as well is um, you know, really allow students to, to make more informed decisions. Uh, you know, and to understand what they enjoy and what they can add value. And that's a big thing because you, you, you sometimes you find it out too late, you know, mm -hmm. in life, you know, and uh, that's really my legacy that I'd like to see for Bowsey. And I, I, obviously I, I want to see us on an international stage, you know, so I'd like to be uh, to see Bowsey, you know, not just in the US and uh, in Ireland, but in Europe, you know, within markets like Asia, etc. And that's, exciting conversations we're having now is like how do you you know if if we crack this model same as a an uber for example you know that, that you know that they've cracked one or two markets and then they have a model where you know that they'll bring in a local country manager here's the mm -hmm. here's the platform you know they, we'll help you engage in terms of the legislation etc and very quickly you can scale and, and that's what i'd like to see as well for Bowsey is that kind of approach where we have a, a platform that will translate across you know, many different countries um, that we have uh, a, a business model and a, a network of partners and universities that we can kind of uh, expand very quickly across markets. And I'd really like to see us you know, in 10 years to be global and to be seen to be making a real difference you know, to student lives and people looking back at the pre-pandemic times as kind of remember when, you know, you had to physically go for a job interview or remember when, you know, this, you know, I, that's what I'd love to see. And I have no doubt there's probably people scattered across the world who don't know that Bowsey's going to have uh, a massive impact on the direction of their career because they'll have gotten to taste different areas rather than jump straight into their yeah. career. So um, what you're doing is a fantastic thing. Um, and I can uh, probably say that you'll be sitting at a bar one day and someone might come up to you and say, thank you for Bowsey. It changed the direction of my life. And I assume more than one person will tell you that throughout your lifetime. But for spending the last 45, 55 minutes with me, uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed getting to know you and everything you've done. Um, I wish you nothing but the best going forward. I hope your move back to Ireland is safe uh, and enjoy the next or the last couple of weeks out in Zagreb. Thanks very much, Reen. Really enjoyed uh, talking to you too as well. Uh, very interesting. I've never had a chance to talk about my dad and his business, so I really enjoyed that. Uh, and it's, it's, it's not something I've uh, discussed before, but appreciate the opportunity. Beautiful morning, beautiful sun.